episode number six. Welcome to the Higher Life Podcast. Lessons from authentic Judaism. Get the inspiration you need for personal growth. Hosted by Rabbi Mitterhoff. Shalom, this is Rabbi Eliyahu Mitterhoff in another week of the Higher Life Podcast. I'm going to change things around a little bit. I have a new section called Powerful Parables for Spiritual Development. Let me hear you say it three times fast. Powerful parables. I can't say it three times fast. Anyway, so that's I'm going to add that section, and I'm going to take out the section of Talmudic logic because I think it's not applicable to the audience that I'm trying to reach with this podcast. I might add a Talmudic logic to a different podcast that's going to be speaking about the Gemara and the Talmud itself. I want to tell you what's going to be happening in this week's podcast so you stick around. First, we're going to start out with a parable. Then we're going to go forward into the Torah portion of the week. After that, we're going to have great stories of great rabbis. And last but not least, we're going to have peace in your home. So stick around. Anyway, we're going to start out this week with a powerful parable. Now, what is a parable? A parable has to be, it's called in Hebrew, a mushal. It means you work from the known to the unknown. You can explain something you know, and from what you know, you can understand something you don't understand. I'm also going to talk more about parables in the Torah portion of the week. Rabbeinu Bachi explains how they work. So here is one right now. This is the Chafetz Chaim. He says, people live like they're blind, like they never saw the light of day. They're running around with their heads off, not really thinking about what life is about. And they think that they're happy and fortunate. They're full of laughter and enjoying themselves, going out to eat, doing fun things. The only problem is, he wants to say it's compared to an alcoholic. What do you mean? Some guy drank so much that he wound up losing all of his money. He lost his wallet. Not only that, he gave away his clothes to buy another bottle of whiskey. Next thing you know, the guy is lying in the street, completely drunk out of his mind, in the mud, covered with filth and muck. And he's unclothed and barefoot. Guy is in bad shape. The only thing is, the only thing is he's feeling completely happy. He's singing, he's clapping his hands, he's singing a little song. He has no idea how unfortunate he really is. That in reality, he's without his clothes, he's covered with filth and completely penniless. It's only the next day when he wakes up and he sobers up and he realizes what happened to him, that he realizes what bad shape he really is in. So that was the mushal, that was the parable. That was the thing that we understand, we can understand that. What does it refer to? Something that might be diff more difficult to understand. He's saying that is like when we go to the next world. This world, we could be having a great time, thinking everything is great, and we have no idea, we're not sober, we're drunk from the world, and we don't realize that in the next world, things are going to be a little bit different. Even though we're happy and celebrating and having a great time, since we're not doing mitzvahs, we come to the next world naked, barefoot, dirty, full of mud and full of dirt. We don't want that to happen. Who's the Chavitz Chaim speaking to? He's not just speaking to people who are not so religious. He's been speaking to people who are religious. How much time do we waste? How many mitzvahs can we do? And we're happy. We think everything is fine. And meanwhile, life is going by. And we're like the drunk guy who one day is going to have to sober up. Okay, this is something to think about. And the more we think about it, the more real it becomes. Now I want to speak about the Torah portion of the week. This week's Torah portion is Vayakel. And we know there that B'tzalel is assigned to build all the parts of the Mishkan, everything that was inside of the tabernacle. So the Das Zakanim explains, that's one of the Balitosvos, 
And he says that Moshe originally thought that he was going to build everything in the Mishkan. He's the man, and he thought he was going to do it. The Hashem said to him, no, on the contrary, Betzalo is going to do it. He's more suitable for the task. Who is Betzalo? It says, Betzalo ben Uri ben Chur. His grandfather was Chur. Betzalo's grandfather, Chur, who was the son of Miriam, was killed trying to dissuade the Bnei Yisrael from building the golden calf. In other words, they wanted to build the golden calf, like we explained in last week's portion. According to some opinions, they wanted to do it, L'Shem Shemayim. They really wanted to come close to God, so they wanted to build this golden calf. I mean, he stopped them, because it was not the right thing. At least according to the Beis Levi, which I didn't speak about last week, but according to the Beis Levi, they were not doing it with the commandment of God. They were doing it on their own. That's called the Ibrachacham. They're smarter than God. So they got punished for that. But they wanted to come close to God, but he stopped them. And since he stopped them, and he was right to stop them, actually, but they killed him. They actually killed him. So the Das Zakenim explains he is more, Batalo, who's the grandson, is more suitable for the task. Why? Because since the Shmos Rabbah explains that the Mishkan was to fix up the atone to atone for the golden calf, so Hashem felt that it was specially fitting for Batsalel whose grandfather was killed trying to stop the golden calf, that he's the one that should build the Mishkan. Now, Betzalel was only 13 years old at the time. But in terms of his qualifications, we know Chazal, the rabbis tell us, for example, the Ramban explains that he was filled with a godly spirit with wisdom, insight, and knowledge, which meant he can complete the inner esoteric symbolism of the Ark made with the proper intent. He had Ruach HaKodesh. He was, he was a prophet, and he knew exactly how to build the Ark. Not only that, but the Gemara in Brachos 55a explains that Batsalo knew how to put the letters together from which the world and the universe was created. We know that according to the Torah, everything in this world was created from the letters of the Aleph base. And he knew how to put those two things together. In other words, the whole idea of the Mishkan was that God's presence was going to dwell in the Mishkan, which was the fusion of heaven and earth. And he knew how to join the letters of creation in order to make that happen. We're talking about somebody who's on a very, very high level. But Rav Henik Leibowitz has a kasha in Mikhdush Alev. Rav Henik Leibowitz, who was the former Rosh Hashiva of Chavt Chaim in New York, he says, really, Batzal was probably the worst choice for the job, even with all of his qualifications. Why? Because since his grandfather was killed trying to stop the golden calf from happening, so he's going to have bad feelings towards Am Yisrael. And the Shmos Rabbis tells us that the Mishkan itself was supposed to fix up the sin of the golden calf. So here you have his grandfather trying to stop the Jewish people from doing the golden calf, and he gets killed doing such a thing. And now you have the grandson trying to fix up their sins for killing his own grandfather. How is it possible that he's not going to have bad feelings towards them, and he's not going to have the right intentions in order to, that the Mishkan should atone for the sins of these people who killed his grandfather? So he was the wrong guy for the job. And we know that revenge is a very difficult thing to overcome. The Messias Yisham explains in chapter 11 that revenge is like sweet as honey, since it's the only way out. And therefore, someone who overcomes revenge is considered a very strong and courageous individual. This is something which is easy only for the ministering angels. It has to be like an angel in order to come, overcome his revenge. Because the angels don't have the quality of revenge and jealousy, because they weren't part of the physical world and they weren't formed from earth. It's only us people who are formed from earth that we have the ideas of the feelings of jealousy and revenge. So Batsala was obviously a very bad choice. So what's the answer to this difficulty? 
And the Midrash tells us that the tabernacle was never destroyed, only hidden, because it was holy, without any impure motives involved in its construction. So we know for a fact that Batsalo overcame his quality of jealousy, because it was built with pure intentions. The fact is, even though it might have been difficult for Batsalo, but he overcame this quality, unbelievable power. I mean, you can't imagine such a thing, that somebody killed your grandfather, and you're going to atone for their sins. What, what mitos, what character he had? In other words, the kasha is really the answer. The answer was he had within him the, the ability to overcome this quality of jealousy or revenge, and he did it. And he was the right guy for the job because he was on such a high level. I just want to bring now the Rabbeinu Bachi in this week's Parsha. So Rabbeinu Bachi explains that man is half spiritual and half physical. He says, if he succeeds in making his spirituality this dominant feature, he's like a malach. It's like a man becomes an angel. On the other hand, if his physicality dominates him, he's like a beast that perish and have no afterlife at all. If, God forbid, a person doesn't, is not, doesn't have a tzura, doesn't have a form of human being and acts like an animal his whole life, he has no afterlife. So we're stuck in between. And the whole purpose of our life is to overcome our physical nature. Now, a person who does overcome his nature in any area is considered strong by the Torah. Ezi Gibor, the Perkei says, Who is strong? A one who subdues his personal inclination. That's the Torah's definition of strength. The Maharal says there, the measure of human strength is self-discipline, which is the power of the intellect to direct the physical faculties according to what is right and wrong. In other words, if your intellect can overcome your tendencies, that's called strong. And the Rabbeinu Yonah explained that this strength is even greater than the strength that a man has in battle. He says like this, but the battle of the evil inclination demands much greater, more powerful, and more sophisticated force. It lies in wait, ready to attack and destroy, and it already has a powerful grip over the body. Defeating this formal enemy is true heroism in battle. In other words, since the body is already has its tendencies, to overcome it is a tremendous battle, even greater than fighting a physical battle in a war. So we see that this ability to overcome our physical nature takes tremendous strength, but really, it's the purpose of our lives, and we have to do it. So the question now is, how did he do it? What are some of the tools that we need in order to overcome our bad tendencies? So one of the tools that I want to speak about is how we started this week's podcast, which is parables. Parables have the ability for us to go beyond our limitations and to understand things beyond what we normally could understood by working from the known to the unknown. The Ramchal explains that's how it works. You have a known, and you work from the known, and it's going to use that as a muscle or an analogy to teach us the unknown. So he explains there that the whole book of Mishle was based on this. It's called Mishle. is a book of parables, which was written by Shlomo Melech. So the Rabbeinu Baki explains an unbelievable thing. He says there is no communication between the body and the soul, only through a parable. He says like this, when Shlomo wrote the book of Proverbs, which parables, he, his purpose is to teach man to relate his spirit, his intellect, to his nature. Seeing that man is made up of a physical part and a spiritual but disembodied part, the only way he could relate the one to the other is by the use of a parable. Comparisons between the physical and the spiritual have to be illustrated for man in order to him to comprehend the validity. In other words, there is no communication between the body and the soul. The body speaks one language, and the soul speaks a different language. There's nothing going on between them. The only way is through a parable. I'll give you an example. He starts out with a Pasuk from Mishle. Each week, the Rabbeinu Bachia brings 
a verse from Proverbs that's connected with the Parsha. The verse says like this, My son, eat honey, for it is good, and the honeycomb is sweet to our palate. So that's physical, that we understand honey. So shall knowledge of wisdom be to your soul. If you have found it there, it's your future, and your hopes will not be crushed. So we want to compare honey to wisdom. Honey we understand, that's what the body understands. Body doesn't understand wisdom, it's only in the mind. So in order to get a person to sit and spend time to learn to gain wisdom, you have to explain to the body that it's like honey. What is he referring to? He's referring that Moshe Rabbeinu was up in the Shemayim for 40 days and 40 nights without eating or drinking. And brings a Pasuk from Shmos, they saw God and ate and drank. In other words, just as eating and drinking provided physical gratification, so a vision of the divine provides man with a spiritual gratification. One of the reasons why Moses could spend 40 days on Mount Sinai going without bread and water was because of these divine visions he had. He was gaining nourishment from the divine. That's the muscle. That's how we can explain to our body that by gaining divine wisdom, we're being nourished. It's like honey. And he says like this, unless the parable is something with which we are familiar with, it cannot hope to achieve its purpose. You have to speak to the body to coerce it in physical terms. If you explain it in physical terms, that the body's just like the body gains nourishment, so the soul too gains nourishment, you can convince the body to let you sit and learn for hours on end, toiling in the words of Torah. So that's one of the tools that the Chachamim use to um, help us to overcome our nature. Another tool is, is the Torah itself. It's only through learning Torah that we'll be able to overcome our physical nature. How do I know that? It says it must see charm. It says, can you imagine a sick person goes to the doctor and the doctor gives him his medicine and then he says, you know what, maybe I'll take something else, I'll try this or that, surely he's going to die. He says the same is true in our situation. No one can diagnose the malady of the evil inclination and its inherent power over the creator who has created it. God knows exactly what's going to fix up our nature, our evil inclination. And he has forewarned us that the only cure for it is Torah. Can anyone expect to live if he puts aside the substitute with uh, something else? In other words, only Torah, 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 Tavlin. It says the Torah is the medicine. That's the only thing that's going to overcome. So a person who sits in yeshiva, who sits and learns, and spends time learning Chazal, learning Torah, that's the thing that's going to help him overcome his nature. It's going to give him the spirit, the extra intellectual power, spiritual power to overcome our tendencies of jealousy, anger, uh, lust, all these types of things. We're, we're lost. There's no way. There's no way we can only overcome it. The only way is through Torah itself. God created us. He knows the evil inclination. And he himself says only Torah is the trufa, is the medicine that's going to help to overcome, to make a person reach perfection. But not only that, there's a third thing we need, and that's prayer. It says in Messiah Shisham also, it is yet obvious even a person supervises contact, even if we work with all of our strength, it is not within his power, our power, to achieve salvation without the assistance of Akadosh Baruch without Hashem. We cannot do it on our own. There is no way for us to overcome our tendencies. We need help of the God, and therefore we need to pray. We need to pray that God helps us to overcome our bad tendencies. I'll just end off with this. It says, Rav Simcha Zisa, who is one of the Bali Musa, he says like this, Man's power of reflection and observation, to Rav Simcha Zisa, are the weapons of his struggle against his tendencies. Reflection and observation. In other words, you have to do what's called cheshbon and nefesh. A person has to do accounting. What did I do today? How did I act today? And what am I going to do about it? And we know the Bali Musa told us one of the ways in which we can 
help ourselves to overcome our tendencies is to learn Musa, which means we learn the books of Chazal of the great rabbis, but we do it with our whole heart. We sing it and we participate in it and make it real to ourselves. For example, he says, his, when Simchazisa would learn Musr, his whole body was involved. He would pace back and forth, singing penetrating heart remedy melodies that touched the soul and awakened the mind. He himself composed, composed the tunes. But in other words, the Torah has to become real to us. We have to spend time in it. We have to reflect on it. We have to sing it and talk about it and tell our friends about it and learn it. And through all these different methods, we can help to perfect ourselves. We won't wind up like the guy in the parable, the drunk guy in the street who one day becomes sober when he leaves this world. It's time for Great Stories About Great Rabbis. And now I'm going to tell a story about a great rabbi, Rav Chatzka, Rav Chatzka Levenstein. He was the mashkiach of the Mir. So we know that the Mir Yeshiva went to Shanghai. So while they were in Shanghai, they were being bombed like crazy, but from the Americans. So not all the Talmudim wanted to stay in Shanghai. They wanted to go to a different place, Tenstein. And the mashkiach was against it, and they were for it. So there's a Gemara in Pesachim that says like this, that Rob was asked, if the students come early in the morning or late in the night, go back and forth from the yeshiva, they have to go through the woods, and it's scary, it's dark, and there's bandits and wild animals, should they have to worry? So Rav answered, upon me and upon my neck. Let them come on my account, and the responsibility for their safety rests on my neck. This is what the mashkiach, Rav Chatzka, brought as a raya. He says like this. Mashkiach paused and continued. If I were Rav here too, I would say, let it be upon me and upon my neck. We know that he took on total responsibility for the yeshiva, and it's a known thing that people, most all the guys in the yeshiva survived. Listen to this. I have a footnote here that says like this. One of the Talmidim who was there said like this, that the Talmidim discovered that the civil war between the communists and national Chinese broke out in, in Tankstein. This is the place they wanted to go to. And who was killed first? All the foreigners living in the city that were among them were slaughtered. They took the foreigners out and they killed them all. The Mashkiach's insistence that they remain in Shanghai saved the yeshiva from annihilation. He saved them. But more than that, it says after that, after the Mashkiach accepted full personal responsibility for the safety of the entire yeshiva, not another word was heard about the leading to Shanghai. But his promise was only to those who remained with the yeshiva. In other words, if they remain in the yeshiva, they're going to be protected. And he said, I assure you that none of you will be harmed. We could continue on our way. So what happened? Just the day before Hiroshima, before the, the, the Hiroshima, the atomic bomb was dropped, which ended the war. So there was a blanket bombing and a raid over Shanghai by the Americans. It says that some of the students were in the dormitory building next door when the building suffered a direct hit and collapsed. The dormitories of the Shiva got hit. Listen to what happened. Nobody got hurt. One of them happened to say he was outside. He was not in the building. Another was, was in a reinforced uh, concrete staircase. The third one was sleeping in a bed, and the bed acted as a sled. The bed, the building collapsed, and on the bed, he, he slid out of the building fr from his bed. Another of them said he had to go to the doctor. He felt like some kind of force pushing him to go to the doctor, but nobody was hit. It says the divine protection blanketing the Talmudim was so obvious that the local peasants and uh, Chinese laborers ran to be as near as possible to a yeshiva student when the bombing raids, uh, raids began. In other words, they used to run close to be next to a yeshiva guy because they, they, they were being protected on the schus, on the merit of the mashkiach. It says, after the war, it was clear to everyone that the mashkiach's promise and its fulfillment were divinely sanctioned. Learn to give, love, and communicate 
This is Peace in Your Home. And now, last but not least, Peace in Your Home. I call this spring back. When things get painful in a relationship, and there's been a lot of fighting, and people are saying nasty things to each other, unfortunately. So even though they're sitting at the same breakfast table, they're like a million miles away. Everybody retreats. Most people, they go back inside themselves, and they don't want to talk to the other person. Or the other alternative is that they get aggressive between each other. So the proper solution for this intolerable situation is to gather your courage and jump in and be the first one to make peace. Spring back fast. You have to jump forward. Don't let it linger. Don't let these fights in your house linger. You have to take to get the courage, like we talked about, overcoming your character, overcoming your tendencies, and stand up and go back and try to make peace with your wife or with your husband. Ravig de Millis explained, like a marriage, a riff in a marriage, a spite in a marriage is like a small hole in a dike. The longer the water pours through, the wider the riff gets, making it more difficult to mend. So don't dray, don't wait, because the longer you wait, the fight's just going to get worse. You should try to fix the fight as soon as possible. And Rav Chaim Shmuelovich, he said on the verse that says, there will never be like Korach in his company. We know that Korach would made a rebellion against Moshe Rabbeinu. So how did he learn that verse? He said, you'll never have another case where one side, which was Moshe, was 100% right, and the other side, which was Korach, was 100% wrong. All other arguments, there's a bit of truth on both sides, which should make it easier to say you're sorry and to try to mend the argument by realizing it takes two to tango. A relationship, by definition, means two people. It's not, it's 20-80, maybe it's 50-50, maybe it's 50-50, maybe it's 60-40, but each side is to blame. It's not just a one-sided thing. So therefore, if you want to have the last word, let it be, I love you, and I'm sorry. Okay, that's it for this week's podcast. Please tell your friends about it. Please give me some feedback on my site. I need to know if people are enjoying the podcast or if I should change something. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Your voicemail could be featured on the Higher Life Podcast. Just visit RabbiMinterhoff.com to ask questions or leave comments.